The following podcast contains explicit language. From New York City, this is Lexicon Valley. I'm John McWhorter. And you know what we're going to start with today? Let's listen to an exchange between Nathaniel and Heather on the late, great, crazy ex-girlfriend. This is from the final season, magnificently peculiar as always. And here is Nathaniel having a problem asking for something. Listen here. Uh, what happened? I forgot to charge my car and now I'm out of juice. I've been trying to get an Uber, but these idiot drivers keep canceling on me. Huh, you must have a bad rating. The ratings go both ways? <laughs> Socialists. Okay, good catching up. Bye-bye. No, wait, wait, wait. Um, uh, can I have a ride? Uh, sorry. Can I have a ride, please, and thank you? So you start with the default, can I have a ride? And then his idea is that to make it better, to be more polite, he should have said, can I have a ride, please? But then notice that to say, can I have a ride, please, almost is worse. It sounds hostile and not only because of the Nathaniel character. Can I have a ride? Can I have a ride, please? Please to our modern ear almost is too formal. And yet we're taught formally that to add please is a form of politeness. If you think about it, that's a little uncomplicated in terms of how we actually use the English language today. The problem Nathaniel's having is one with softness, and and I mean in terms of language. He is having a problem with making what he's saying not come off as a kind of assault or as just a little bit metallic. He doesn't know how to do soft, and that is an awful lot of how one effectively gets around in English these days. And the question is why. One could just comment on it and leave it there and possibly with, you know, some facile notion of how we've all gone soft or something like that. But we're not we're not Margaret Thatcher. We're trying to make sense of things. What is all of this softness? Or what is a better excuse than this to play this song from my childhood? Not the Lauren Hill version. We're going to do Roberta Flack. Here we go. Drumming my bed with his fingers Singing my life with his words Killing me softly Killing me softly with his song, telling my whole life with his words, killing me softly with his song. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Had to have a little of that, but there is an awful lot of softening that's necessary to speak this language these days, not in terms of a textbook, not in terms of what we consciously think of. But if one doesn't use softeners of a certain kind these days, you are read at best 
as someone with a rather professorial manner. I wonder if I'm speaking about anybody I know to an extent. Or at worst, it's kind of kind of cold. And I don't just mean, I've mentioned on this show, saying thingy instead of thing or something like dealio. There's a lot more than that. And one of the first things many of you will think of, and you're quite correct, and I did an interview show about this with Alexandra Darcy, the professor who's known sometimes as the like lady, but you know, that was in 1969. And many of you probably haven't heard that episode. And so it's about like and the way it's used these days. Now, any of you who are listening to this show will expect that the way I feel about how often people under a certain age, and that certain age is becoming 50, but under a certain age are using like these days, is that, well, the language has ever been thus, that we think of it as new when really it goes way back. And I love showing you how things go way back that we think of as new. But the truth is, like in the way that we use it, one, it does not go that far back. It's something that explodes in the 1970s, just as most of us would think. And what's more, there was no earlier equivalent to like. It's not as if there was some other word or expression that people used in the same way that fell out and then we replaced it with like. And it's a funny thing because linguists have no real standard explanation for why that is that like just took off. And not only in the United States, but in Canada and Australia and England, like just jumped starting in the 1970s. And a lot of the way like is used is as what you would call a softener. You're trying not to speak too aggressively. It doesn't mean that you have some problem with your ego. But these days, if you don't use like in certain contexts, you almost seem like you're pushing the point. I'm going to give an example with This American Life. And because there are certain feelings about the use of like among some people, I'm going to go far enough back that I don't feel like I'm hanging any person out to dry because even if that person hears this, they are now, you know, a generation plus from 1997. But in this episode, listen to the way this person uses like in what was certainly, I remember in 1997, was already a very ordinary way of using it, where this is a clear, direct speaker, and yet you have these likes that really serve to keep the person from sounding like they're pushing in your face too hard. Completely different. And so they're just, there's just like this excitement level. They're like really bubbly, and they've got all this bright colored makeup on, you know, pinks, blues, just, you know. Oh, of course, because they're, they're convention with their peers, so they have to impress each other. It's not even oh, like they're... Oh, yeah. You're right. It's not like they're undercover, like, oh, we can go to the convention and not wear makeup. I mean, they were just made up to, like the nines. I mean, it was crazy. So I'm just looking at them and lying like I've never seen more makeup in my entire life. But they were just covered. just And just the most awkward. It, I mean, everything looked like it was a mistake. Just the most awkward. Then notice how sort of is used too, where technically, if you're just thinking about strictly what the meaning is, it's not sort of anything. The person could say the same thing without using sort of, but they use sort of for a reason, and it's to feel friendly. It is to not sound too didactic. Listen to this. I hadn't, I hadn't thought about that until that exact moment. I was going, that was, it's to sort of it's talk to people. To you. I'm here to watch TV. I'm here to watch TV, and I'm here to talk to people about watching TV. Then listen to this, sort of. And I was thinking, Well, I'm sort of a crackpot, too. And here she was. It was sort of like the alcoholic getting up at the alcoholic convention saying, I'm an alcoholic. And then listen to this one. But, John, I mean, but you sort of saw her as being nuts. Right. But you felt she was speaking for you when she said that? 
I felt an empathy with her. Very typical. This is the way like and sort of are used these days. And the thing is, this really is new. For example, I remember, talk about 1997. I remember in 1996, I happened to end up talking at a party to a man who really was close to 100 years old. All his marbles, sharp as a tack, and well, but still, what do you talk about to anybody? And what do you talk about to him? Well, I figured him being a century old was worth a conversation. And since he was a linguist, I just asked him, you know what, given that you would have had an ear for this kind of thing, and you vividly remember the 1920s, when all those flappers were running around getting drunk, and the guys were banging around doing the Charleston and dying of diseases and things like that, what actually did people say that annoyed people as much as like does now? How did those people sound? At those parties, people certainly weren't saying like because we know that was new. But was there some other hedge that people used so much that it got on people's nerves? And he thought for a long time, remember, he's a linguist, and so his ears would have always been open to this sort of thing. And he said, some people complained about sort of, because people use sort of. But he said people didn't use sort of nearly as much as they use like now. And he was the kind of person where you could be pretty sure that he knew of what he spoke. And there is no evidence in even the slangiest depictions of how actual people spoke in, say, 1925, of anything like the way like is used or any word used in that way. There's something about speaking modern English that encourages us to not be too didactic and to indicate it with this rich and, in its way, very complex use of like. So Alexandra Darcy, the like lady, has written a whole dissertation and book about like, and there are other people who've worked on it. It is complicated and subtle. Lord forbid you are a non-native learner of English and you want to learn a truly idiomatic way of using this word like that so many seem to consider such trash. I mean, this is this is subtle stuff. Nevertheless, it is new. In a way, you could almost say, why is it that we're so polite these days? That's a hint of where we're going to go in this. But for now, let's take a quick little musical break. This is Irving Berlin. This is 1932. This is the musical Face the Music. This is a song called Soft Lights and Sweet Music, which is written about more than it's actually heard. This is a contemporary, as in contemporary to the time, arrangement of the song. Listen to the harmonically slightly odd Soft Lights and Sweet Music. Time inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're talking about these softeners. And it's not just like and sort of, and it's not just thingy 
and dealio. There are all sorts of things that we don't think of as a thing that are very important to not coming off as a jerk in modern American English. And so, for example, if you are about to leave a party, you would never say, I am going to leave. You almost have to use the word head out these days. You don't think about it. It's not going to be in a language arts textbook. But if you're going to leave some gathering, you're going to head out. You're certainly not going to depart, nor would it make any sense except in a very computer way to say, I am now going to leave. The way you do it is you say, well, I'm going to head out. And that's the way you do it in a way that doesn't seem abrupt and suggest that you enjoyed it, despite the fact that you are heading <laughs> your way out of it. You do not socialize. That's something from a language arts textbook. You can spend time with people, but it sounds a little deliberate. What you do is you hang out. You hang out with people. Now, did people say hang out in 1925? That particular expression, I doubt it, but we certainly use it a lot now. I was hanging out with friends, and it sounds very informal. It softens it. So not I was imposing myself upon friends, not my friends and I made a plan to spend some time together looking at one another and eating asparagus or something like that. No, you hang out with your friends. That's the way that you put it these days. Go to Target if you must. And you look at those long fucking lines. And one way you can get beyond that, if you don't have anything too complicated, is you go to the self-serve. So the self-serve, of course, has to talk to you in this kind of chipper voice. And the self-serve machine tells you to grab your receipt. Grab it? What do you mean grab it? I, I'm going to pick up the receipt. I'm going to get it. I mean, that's the vanilla way of putting it. But no, it tells you to grab your receipt. That's very informal. The self-serve line is trying to sound approachable, as if that's going to make you more likely to go to Target. I guess it is, because it makes you feel like you might want to hang out with the woman in the... Uh, who knows? But it says grab. That is not what that thing would have said even as recently as 25 years ago. There's something very modern about that. All sorts of things that you have to say. For example, in an interview setting or something similar, you do not say, well, we're finished. You don't say we have come to an end. You say that you're going to wrap it up. Wrap it up. Wrap it up. That's very informal. And yet now you hear it in nominally formal circumstances, you almost have to say you're going to wrap up. We're going to conclude. No. Well, that's ridiculously formal, but well, we're about finished. No, that sounds like something's wrong. Okay. We're going to finish. Still, no, no, you wouldn't want to hang out with that person. You have to wrap up these days. Another example of that is I'm going to let you go and you didn't ask to be let go. Like, remember how painful it was if you had a crush on somebody and then they say, I'm going to let you go. And you're thinking, but I didn't want to go. But really, if you are trying to end a conversation these days, you have to say, I'm going to let you go. Not, I'm going to conclude. Not, I'm going to hang up now. Well, I'm going to let you go. You learn that as part of speaking English as a person. I imagine children of a certain age, you know, probably around nine or 10, beginning to pick those sorts of things up subconsciously. Because if you don't pick them up, then you would have a very hard time getting around in society. We all know dozens of examples of this sort of thing, where there's English 
as you see it in a textbook, English that you would impart consciously to someone else, then English as you actually speak it, where especially in our modern rendition, an awful lot of it is cushioning the blow, even if it's not something you would think of as a blow, with these particular words and expressions that make you sound like a person to the point that Target ends up putting words and expressions like that into the programmed voice of the self-serve counter. To be approachable, you have to use lots of these softeners. And so the question becomes, why? Is it that we're softer now? Obviously, that doesn't make any sense at all. And yet it definitely seems to be the case that if you don't use these softeners these days, you're a little bit out of step with what it is to be the proper person in a way that you wouldn't have been in 1925 or even 1955, even 1975. Something has happened more recently than that. And what it's about is politeness. Ultimately, it's about politeness. Politeness is something that some linguists study, and some of you may be salivating at the idea of studying politeness. Others of you I know are thinking, how interesting could that possibly be? That's not linguistics. And the answer is that it is linguistics, but it doesn't seem like it because we're taught that language is something much narrower than we often know. So what do I mean by politeness? Well, all of this softening is a kind of politeness which is replacing older ways of being polite in the language, and they're the ones that we often are still formally taught. So, for example, it used to be that the way you were polite, the way you cushioned the blow, so to speak, the way you did not be too much in people's faces, was that you said please, you said thank you. We still teach children that, and so... May I have a pacifier? Well, nobody at that age, they wouldn't ask, but may I have that book, please? Thank you for giving me that umbrella. Those things are what we think of as politeness 101. And there they are. And notice their little juice and cookies. hundred years ago, maybe somebody would have said that, but not as much as we would say it now. You do have to use please and thank you. Although with thank you, we often prefer thanks. And there's a reason for that. We'll get to it. But they're a little, little, you know, kind of kitty birthday party, a little, little unapproachable. If it's always please and thank you, you you've, that's not somebody that you can imagine really settling down with. But that's politeness 101. Any language has ways of being polite. It differs from language to language, culture to culture, time to time. Our politeness used to fundamentally be that kind of elaboration. So, if you please, well, I thank you for doing that. There are languages where those particular kinds of words are not the ones that you use for politeness, but we're very used to it in English. Or another way of being polite in earlier usages of the language, which we now use, but we've been doing it for so long that the effectiveness is worn off, is hypotheticality. And what I mean by that is, could you close the door? Now, what you really mean is close the damn door. Close the door, the imperative, as you learn in a book. But you would never just say close the door, except under certain circumstances. It sounds like Joe Pesci. I'm watching Casino right now. Boy, do I have that man's voice in my ears. Who let Scorsese stretch that damn thing out to three hours? That should be one hour and 52 minutes. In any case, Joe Pesci would say, close the fucking door. Okay, that's him. But if you're thinking about how you really say it, could you close the door? Now, what does that literally mean? 
Are you capable of closing the door? In an alternate situation, which apparently is not this one, would you be capable of closing the door? What a weird way, if you think about it, of trying to get that door closed by somebody who isn't you. But the idea is to distance it. So if there were this other scenario, do you think you'd be capable of it, is the way that we say, let's make this scenario akin to that alternative scenario. Would you close the door, please? Would you? Well, literally, that is, once again, in an alternate situation, would you? Or what it originally meant was, did you want? Because would started as the past tense of want. So did you want to close the door? And so at some point in the past, were you hoping that door would be closed? And the reason you're referring to this point in the past, which is not only past, but hypothetical, is because that is a very sweet way of saying, I would like right now to be like that time in the past, so polite. And we don't even think of it, but somebody can come from another language and really think that Anglos, as for example, linguist Anna Weersbitska calls people who speak English, she's coming from Polish, makes Anglos sound very, I know the word she's probably thinking, and I'm just going to say fussy. She's thinking of a word that's spelled like that one, although it doesn't sound exactly like that one. I'll let some of you fill it in. But fussy, that you would say, would you close the door? Meaning close the the door. Their languages were just saying close the door works better, not that they don't have other politeness strategies. But those were our older forms of politeness. The elaboration now is something we do formulaically, but it feels a little hokey. The hypotheticals are now so entrenched that we almost forget that they're hypothetical and polite. And yet, a language wants to have its politeness. We think language, we think grammar is marking something as plural. We think of grammar as marking something as being in the past or in the future. We think of grammar as those sorts of things. We don't think of politeness as grammar, but it actually is. Speaking in a way that is appropriate to the status of the other person in relation to you, speaking in a way that gives as little offense as possible, that is a unit of what you can call meaning, just like plurality, just like tense. If grammar had been created by people who spoke, for example, either Japanese or Javanese, I think that we would think about politeness as more elemental to what language is than we do when we're speaking our comparatively rather blunt European languages. But languages have a way of keeping certain things. There's no language where you can't indicate the number of anything at all. Some languages like plural marking more than others, but there's no language where you can't do it at all. A language wants to have some way of indicating tense, whether something's in the past, whether something's in the future. Some languages come almost alarmingly close to having no way of indicating past or future in any regular way. But even with them, you can say yesterday and already or tomorrow. In most languages, you keep it going. And so if your plural marker wears out, if it falls off like split ends, well, then something else is going to come in. If your past tense marker wears away, a new one is going to come in. Languages maintain these things. It just kind of keeps going round and round and round. Politeness is one of those things, too. You have to have ways of avoiding giving offense. And so a lot of this new stuff is an indication that the language is doing exactly that. So, for example, hypotheticals. We could say, would you please close the door? 
Could you please close the door? But think about some other things that we do. So, for example, I'm going to go ahead and take down your credit card number. I'm going to go ahead and somebody will say when what they really mean is I'm going to. Well, what's the, the, the go ahead? When you say I'm going to go ahead and you're lending an implication that the person gave you such a go ahead with the idea being that it's really such a no big deal that you can assume that the person gives you that go ahead inherently, even if they haven't said so. I'm going to go ahead and that's a hypothetical. That's a new way of softening the blow by referring to some state of things that in fact is not. I'm going to let you go with the implication that you want to go and that therefore you're just doing them a favor. That is a politeness. I'm going to let you go. Especially if really you kind of would like to let them go. One way to soften it is to imply that it's them who want to go. And now a lot of you are going to say that I should have said they who want to go. So I just said it. Instead of it being you. Well, that's fine. We're renewing our hypotheticals, but that's why people say go ahead and, and let you go and why these days you almost have to say those things to avoid being too abrupt. But like and sort of, their spread is unexplained in that they spread so prolifically and so far and so quickly at a certain time. That still needs to be addressed and it will not be in this podcast. But what therefore is more of that hypotheticality and so if you're talking about something being like something in the way of those people on that This American Life segment, what you mean is that it wasn't it, it was kind of like it. You're distancing yourself from pushing your opinion or the scenario that you're describing too directly into people's faces by implying a certain hypothetical quality, a certain presentational quality, as if you're putting all of these things up on a stage and showing them rather than simply being in what you're describing and being more direct. Sort of is the same thing. The idea being that you don't want to own it to very much. You're not giving a series of assertions. You want to imply that you're giving a series of propositions or impressions. And so that is a way of being polite that can manifest itself in using crazy conditionals like the would you or could you in going into people's heads and implying that they've said something that they didn't, such as go ahead and or I'm going to let you go. Then also like and sort of are from that same source. But a big part of the new softening. A big part of the way we're polite these days is with informality. And the reason for that is that countercultural ideas and therefore behavioral patterns and fashion statements have become part of our warp and woof since the late 60s. If we are more countercultural, if we let it all hang out, so to speak, then that means that a new way of being polite that wouldn't have made any sense to anybody in, say, 1890 or even to most people in, say, 1955, beyond certain circles, is to be informal, is to be vernacular, and sometimes just vulgar. That's the way it can go. You know, I know that if some of you are thinking that today's songs are going to be about the word soft, that at this point I'm probably supposed to play one of those songs called Soft and Wet. And you know what? I'm not going to do that because it's ever clearer to me how many of you have kids listening to this. And I think that would be too much. So why don't we listen to a nice 
show tune from 1960. Instead of soft, let's make it gentle. This is called Gentle Young Johnny. Because I'm gentle. I'm polite. I'm not going to push songs about softness and wetness into kids. So, Gentle Young Johnny. This is Tenderloin. This is the guys who wrote Fiddler on the Roof and got very rich. Of course, they had some shows before that that nobody's heard of except for the sick. And this is a very nice ballad from Tenderloin. For those of you who are music people, listen to the arrangement here. You know, on the piano, it was just blunk, blunk, blunk. And now listen to what they did with the orchestra. The singer is Eileen Rogers. What I mean by this informality is, for example, heading out for leaving or hanging out for socializing. Those are informal ways of putting these things. And the reason that you want to be informal, saying things like you're good to go, is because what we're trying to do is be polite. And so what we seek is a kind of humility. And what that means is that you just know What I'm trying to do here is give you a sense of how linguistics pretends to be a science. You just know that if people are seeking informality, then that's why so many white people and non-black people these days are talking more and more like black people. It's a grand issue. I've broached it on this show before. But if you are a modern person, you can't help noticing that over the past generation, whites use elements of black English in a way that their parents would have. And I'm now at the point where I watch somebody who is, you know, 27 and they're white or something like white and they use bits and pieces of black slang and even black English constructions and sometimes more than bits and pieces. And I think to myself, their parents are thoroughly countercultural modern people. And yet I know they weren't doing that when they were in college or a few years out because now I'm that age. I went to college with people that age as parents, and I know that people were shaggy in their way. You know, people were not Mitt Romney, but black English had not penetrated the culture the way it started to after roughly about 1996. And so where that comes from, that idea that a white person is warm by using elements of black English, is this politeness. It actually is a form of politeness, although nobody would think of it that way. You have to think of politeness in a broad sense. I ran across a tweet not long ago written by a friend of mine, and I'm going to change the friend's name. Let's make the friend's name Heiser, which is random. I don't know anybody named Heiser, but we're going to make it Heiser. So this person had a little jokey tweet, and they wrote with the name changed. 
I'm going to start selling Heiser's English tuning forks and rose quartz crystals of steel at $74.99. Ama, spelled I-M-M-A, and it's this ama, which is from Black English. Black English has ama for I'm going to. More and more these days, you hear white kids and even, you know, white people, 35, using ama. I remember the first time I heard anybody doing it who was white was back in the late 90s, and I was shocked. I thought, wow, I never heard a white person say that. And she was surrounded by black people and was what on the West Coast for about 10 seconds was called a wigger. And so I thought, well, okay, that's her. That's But she's a rather, you know, fringe type. Now it's quite common such that this Heiser would say, I'm going to start selling Heiser's English tuning forks and rose quartz crystals of steel at $74.99. That is softer than if this person had written, I am going to start selling Heiser's English tuning. That wouldn't be funny because the joke here is that it's, you know, it's a steal at practically $80. So this person is implying jocularly, of course, that they're going to get rich by selling this. You say ama because that makes you seem a bit like a kid, a bit down with everybody. It's a softener. And it's not only non-black people who do this. Listen to one of our current Democratic candidates for the presidency, Kamala Harris, where she is expressing that she believes that our current president should not have his job. And if you're going to say that, and especially in her position, well, you might want to soften it. You're not just going to bark it out. One effective way to put it, one way to make it warmer and therefore more convincing, might be to put it in somewhat, you know, lots of people call these days ebonics. And so here she is talking about getting rid of a certain someone. It is on a long list of crises of Donald Trump's making, and that's why do gotta go, and when I am commander-in-chief, we will stop this madness. Oh, by the way, I'm sure you're wondering at this point, big, bigger, biggest, okay. So, more, most. Well, what's the first one? What is it, Moog? What's, what's the word? Where did it start? Bad, worse, worst. Why is it bad? You can tell that that's not related to worse, worst. Haven't you been awake wondering about this? Well, I could put you to sleep if you would only subscribe to Slate Plus, where I will be giving the answers to those questions and more. For just a nominal fee, then you can listen to one, me doing an extra bit of fascinating things like that. But also, you don't have to listen to anybody, including me, doing any ads. And frankly, the nominal fee pays not only for my show, but for all of Slate's other fascinating podcasts. But the only way you can get those extra little bits is to subscribe to Slate Plus today. Imagine listening without all those commercials. Plus, you get the extra little bit. More, most. What was first? You can only know if you subscribe to Slate Plus today. Something else that you would predict. One, you would predict that if politeness is now about softening, then not only do you say head out, but you're going to start speaking more blackly, but also profanity is going to change. And the way profanity has changed lately, and many people will listen to this and wonder what the fuck happened to English. And this is what the fuck happened to it. It's that profanity is extremely humble. Profanity is extremely vernacular. Profanity is way down low. Well, if softening is what we're all about, if we're going to be humble, if we're going to try not to stand out, then wouldn't you just expect that in certain quarters, profanity is going to become default instead of being 
profane. This is how things can happen. Here's an analogy that is not going to work, but it really is something that I think about. There is a language spoken in Africa called Ahem, A-G-H-E-M. In Ahem, you can put emphasis on various things in the sentence, but people have been putting so much emphasis on so many things for so long that now you have to have something emphasized in a sentence. Emphasis is normal. If you really want to give emphasis, you have some other stuff you can do. But basic emphasis is now in every sentence. You can't avoid it. Emphasis is the default. So for example, let's talk about a rat and the rat is moving quickly. You can say the rat ran, not the baboon. So you're emphasizing that it was the rat and not that that ape. The rat ran, not the baboon. Or where did the rat run? The rat ran in the house, not in its burrow. If they burrow, I don't know. The rat ran in the house, not in the burrow. Or, oh, no, no, no. The rat ran in the house. It didn't walk. The rat ran in the house. Okay. But you can't just say the rat ran. That just, that won't work. You have to say the rat ran, even if you're not talking about in the house or something like that. You have to say the rat ran. The way they do it is not by raising their voice high. There's this little particle. So you would say the rat ran, boop. But if I pronounce that, that makes no sense to any of us except maybe the one person listening who speaks again. So you have to say the rat ran. There's no such thing as saying the rat ran. Now, let's compare that to, of all things, succession. Succession is a really wonderful show for listening to the way real people talk. I haven't heard such delightfully real language on a show since Empire. Empire was very good for that. But we don't talk about that show much anymore. Succession is what we talk about. And on Succession, think about the way, in particular, the younger men talk. Logan Roy says, fuck a lot. But listen in particular to Roman and Kendall. So Kendall is partaking in something dangerous in these kind of lair conditions. And Roman comes in and he's going to he's going to get him out of there. And they're brothers and they love each other. And listen to how Roman couches getting Kendall out of there. Yeah, it's good. Yo, seriously, you should try this. I would love to some other time. I hear that shit makes you uh, crash like an Airbus full of eggs. Not if you stay high. Tanner makes good points. I think this lighter is fucked. That is a really good point. Um, You know what? Let's get the fuck out of here. Come on. That's enough. So notice he says, let's get the fuck out. And understand, this isn't a Joe Pesci moment. It's actually rather tender. Kieran Culkin acts it very well. He's just got a default expression on his face he's not angry or if he is he isn't showing it but the idea is if the brother's going to come in and coax kendall out of using this substance with these scummy people he doesn't say let's get out of here the way that character would have like 10 minutes ago he says let's get the fuck out and that's the way a brother speaks to a brother with tenderness frankly that's better than let's get out Let's get out of here. That's too severe. It sounds like he's in judgment of Kendall for doing what he's doing. Let's get the fuck out. It makes it sound demotic. It makes it sound warm in its way. Because if you're using this profanity, given that it's technically profane, technically what you're not supposed to do, then you're breaking a little rule yourself. So if Kendall is there using meth or whatever he's using, you're going to say, let's get the fuck out. And that makes you avoid sounding too high and mighty. Very articulate, very good writing, and very real. Next time you hear a bunch of, it's usually men, frankly, where profanity seems to be the default expression, realize that in a way what they're doing is calling one another dear and darling. That's what it is.
Just think about these things as softeners, as not pushing too hard, as going slow. I'm going to talk to myself again. This is Go Slow Johnny. This is from the Noel Coward musical Sail Away. I like the arrangement better than the song, but it's about going slow and it's kind of talking to me and whatever. This is Sail Away. This is Go Slow Johnny in 1961. Go slow, Johnny. Maybe she'll come to her senses if you give her a chance. People's feelings are sensitive plans. Try not to trample the soil and spoil romance Go slow, Johnny No sense in rushing your fences Till you know that you know Your stars are bright for you, right for you In any case, I mentioned that there are kids listening to this show. One of them is Edward LaMontagne. And Edward, in case you were listening to this in a car somewhere out there in this great nation, this is a shout out to you. Thank you for listening to this show. And I hope you're learning your softeners as I speak. I am behind on writing back to you folks. I'm really sorry about that. I say by rote, as a tradition at the end of the show, to write me. And then I end up answering people like six months later. The responsibilities have just piled on. I will answer all of you. I'm sorry that I'm failing as an individual on this, but I will write it. After all, Christmas break is coming up, and I'm told I don't have anything to do during it. In any case, let's go out on something truly obscure, but very enjoyable. It's 1939. And there is a musical nobody need care about called Very Warm for May with music by Jerome Kern and lyrics by Oscar Hammerstein. And this is before his long phase with Richard Rogers. Very Warm for May is justifiably forgotten except by obsessives like me. But it was very richly scored. And Robert Russell Bennett is best known for scoring things that end up sounding like Showboat or end up sounding like the small house of Uncle Thomas in The King and I. This is him writing Hot Boogie Woogie, which nobody expected that Robert Russell Bennett could orchestrate so beautifully. But this is called Boogie Barker Roll. Hasn't been heard since 1939, but I find it immensely catchy. Boogie Woogie in an orchestra instead of on the piano. us at lexicon valley at slate.com that's lexicon valley at slate.com to listen to past shows and subscribe or just to reach out and for one thing notice the reach out is informal you wouldn't have put it that way in about 1985 and also reaching out when you reach out remember that i might only reach back somewhat later but it doesn't mean that i don't care it just takes time because boy responsibilities do pile up for all of us don't they in any case go to slate.com slash lexicon valley mike wolo is as always the editor and i am john mcwater